stand to our feet, Philippians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse number 21 down through verse number 27. The Bible says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having desired to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may may, uh, be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we come to you tonight and we do ask that you meet with us. Lord, we thank you again for your word, the purity in it, the truth in it. The ability we have to proclaim it boldly. And Father, I pray that over these next few moments you give me power, Lord. I seek your face today to stand here as but a a young man, ready, prepared to preach this. But Lord, if your power is, is not present, then it is but just another church service. So Father, I pray that over these next few moments you help us to be open to you. Lord, may you meet with us in a special way. And Lord, may, may uh, we just leave here changed, better Christians because of what we heard tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. God desires for all God-ordained institutions to walk and work in unity. God instituted government. He instituted the family. He instituted the church and desires all to work in unity. Yet all three institutions regularly tend to disorder and division. Governmental parties divide further and further apart. Fifty percent of married couples end in divorce. Churches split, shrink, or become toxic breeding grounds for criticism. God's institutions cannot thrive under disunity, only harmony. A pastor once got up and and made a statement, God is in the business of adding and multiplying. Satan is in the business of subtracting and dividing. A young boy heard this uh, from his preacher and pondered the implications of that statement. The next day he went to school and the teacher asked him to stand and state what 10 minus 3 was. The boy quickly uh, quickly was concerned and told the teacher, I'm sorry, teacher, but I can't be involved in Satan's business. The boy wanted to get out of his subtraction. But hey, we're reminded today that God wants us to add and to multiply. But our flesh and Satan desires to divide and subtract and bring disunity and disharmony amongst the brethren. Tonight as we read this book of Philippians, we find a church, a church in Philippi. 
This church was a poor church, but yet a gracious church. They were a persecuted church, but they were a faithful church. They encountered heartache, but yet they were joyful. It was this church that Paul was writing this letter while in prison, while in chains and bound. Paul's passion was to see the growth of this church and the furtherance of the gospel. This morning I was talking to our teenagers and we're beginning a new series where we're going to be going over the next several weeks through the New Testament, just giving a quick survey and some of the backstory behind it. And I couldn't help but think of the prison epistles, how, uh, how the, um, how uh, Paul was bound in prison and he had such heartache and had such uh, difficulties in his life, but yet Paul was not focused on his own situation. He was not concerned with his own estate. Rather, his mindset while he was in prison was to focus on the churches and the growth of the Gospel. Paul knew that a divided church would be ineffective against a divisive foe. I want you to turn to two places, if you would. First Peter chapter 5 is where we'll begin. First Peter chapter 5, and this is a familiar passage to us. But I want to compare and contrast First Peter chapter 5 with Galatians chapter 5. First Peter 5, verse number 8 says, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Remember that word, devour. I know that, that Satan is, we know that Satan ultimately is our foe. However, to our discredit, the church can behave in a similar fashion to our foe, Satan himself. If you'd go over to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. Verse number 13 through 15 says this, For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love Thy neighbor as thyself. Verse number 15. But if ye, if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That same word devour found in Galatians chapter 5 verse number 15 is the same word used to describe Satan as he lurks about seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes Christian churches can be divisive one for another. We know that Satan is on our crosshair, or has us in his crosshairs, and he desires to take us down. But sometimes we as Christians get our focus off of the enemy, and we start focusing on each other and thinking that we are each other's enemy. And that is simply not the truth, for we find in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But we can get distracted so easily on our differences and agendas that we fail to keep in consideration that we are to be a unified body 
fitly joined together, as Ephesians 4.16 says. We know that God has established the church. In Matthew 16, verse number 18, He said, Unto thee thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When God's people are unified, Satan and the gates of hell themselves tremble at the marching beat of the church prevailing and moving forward. Henry Ford once said, coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. So then Paul reminds the modern church today that we must walk and work in unity if we are to be a thriving church. Tonight, let's see three areas where we should stand unified one with another. Number one, I want us to see we should be unified in our stand. In our stand. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word conversation simply means our lifestyle. Our lifestyle. If we are to live a godly lifestyle, a lifestyle that is becometh the gospel, then we need to have some convictions. The word conviction simply means, uh, or conversation rather, simply means lifestyle. And your lifestyle should reflect that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse number 1, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. God calls us to be separate. We learned this morning that God calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. God calls us to follow His will and neglect our own. Examine your lifestyle right now. How do people perceive you? If you are an example of Christ, what message is taught about Christ? If you are a follower of Christ and you are a Christian like you say, you are a little Christ, then they should see holiness in you. They should see something different in you. They should see love pouring out of you. They should see peace coming out of you. They should see all the fruits of the Spirit that God so graciously gives us with His Spirit flowing out of you. But as we examine our lives, don't buy into the counterfeit Christianity that God doesn't care about our lifestyles. He doesn't care about the outward. He does care about the outward. He also cares about the inward. What will others report about your lifestyle? Do they see something different? Do they see a change made in your life? A soap manufacturer and a pastor were walking together down the street in a large city. Soap manufacturer casually said, the gospel you preach hasn't done much good, has it? Just observe. There's still a lot of wickedness in the world. A lot of wicked people, too. The pastor made no reply until they passed a dirty little child making mud pies in the gutter. Seizing the opportunity, the pastor said, I see that soap hasn't done much good in the world either. For there is uh, uh, much dirt and many dirty people still around. The soap man said, oh, well, soap 
is uh, only useful when it is applied. The pastor said exactly, so it is with the gospel. So as we get into the Scriptures more, and as we get into church more, and we hear these wonderful truths from God's Word, may it wash over us, and may our conversation lead to conviction. Our lifestyle have some convictions where we stand on the Word of God, and we say, I'm not going to follow a culture that's following after the world. I'm not going to forsake the things that God has shown me, plainly black and white. We need more men. We need more ladies that have convictions to live a lifestyle that is godly. Not only does the Bible say that we should have convictions in our lifestyle, but I believe tonight the Bible says that we should have consistency in our lifestyle. The Bible says back in verse number 27, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Paul desired to hear how the church was doing. The church of Philippi desired to have a good report said of them. That whether Paul was present or whether he was away, the report would all be the same. Sometimes we do things because we see somebody that we respect come into our presence. Maybe we're working and all of a sudden we hear that the boss is coming into the office. He's going to be walking by. And all of a sudden we make sure we clean up our trash. We make sure that we, uh, we're on our computers. We're doing our diligent uh, work and all those different things. But how many coworkers, as soon as the boss walks by, all of a sudden pull out their solitaire again? And I wonder if the Apostle Paul understood that, hey, sometimes churches can fall into a trap that they only behave when authority is on their back. They only obey when the pastor's in the pulpit. They only come to church when they know that, that somebody's going to be watching over them. But Christian tonight, whether or not our pastor is on our case, whether or not our pastor's in the pulpit, I appreciate everybody being here tonight, even though pastor is away. Hey, we should be consistent in our walk with the Lord. We should be consistent, not for man's approval, but for God's approval. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, my friend, whether or not uh, authority is watching us or not, we understand that God is watching us. and God keeps records of, what we're doing. And so as we evaluate our lifestyle and we understand that we should stand on conviction and we can, we should stand with consistency, uh, we must, we must put this into practice as, as so often we neglect that God is the one who sees everything that we do. In the 16th century, there was a, a Protestant reformer in England by the name of Hugh Latimer. He was known as a great preacher of his day, and as a result, he had many opportunities to speak. Once he uh, found that he was going to be preaching to King Henry VIII of England, 
As he thought about his great responsibility to bring a message before the king, he realized that the message of God laid on his heart was not the message that the king would want to hear. As he began his sermon, he said, Vladimir, Vladimir, do you remember that you are speaking before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who has power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it please him? Will you not take care uh, of, of, of some uh, 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 to say nothing that will offend royal ears? He then paused and continued, Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before king, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords before Him, to whose throne King Henry VIII will stand before Him, to whom one day you will have to give an account of yourself, Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your Master and declare all the, of God's Word. Vladimir faced the choice. Would he preach what men wanted to hear, or would he preach what Christ would have him preach? Vladimir did take that stand for truth and preached boldly. Sometimes our culture will make us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes our situations will uh, cause us to think, am I doing what's right? Should I really take a stand? Should I really be consistent uh, as I am outside of church, as I am inside of church? Is this really a conviction that I should stand on? Or should I compromise? Should I bow to the culture? My friend, tonight we should take a stand on the convictions that God lays out for us in Scripture. So we should be united in our stand. Be willing all to stand when the time comes. But we should be united in our spirit. The Bible says in verse number 27, that I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit. In one spirit. Thinking of this spirit this evening, I understand that the spirit that's mentioned is not necessarily the spirit of God, but rather individually. Each of our spirits coming together and, and being unified as one. And if, if we are to be a people of God that understand truth and stand for truth and are consistent and have convictions, we must have a spirit that is a studying spirit. We cannot all stand on our convictions together if we do not know what our convictions are. We cannot be consistent if we don't have an object to our truth that we declare. In, the, in, in Roman times, there were different wells that were scattered about the city and and uh, people would use these locations, these wells, water wells, as uh, a time for fellowship. And it didn't matter what your status was, whether it was uh, of poor or, or wealth or uh, popularity or, or whatever the occasion was, all would come together and sit around the well. And they had all different backgrounds, yet they would all drink from the same well. And tonight we have many different backgrounds of people mentioned here tonight. 
We have some from Bridgeport, some from Stratford, Milford, Ansonia, uh, uh, throughout the valley, some brand new here, some uh, have been faithful to church for this whole time, but we all gather here tonight to draw from the same well, which is the Word of God. And tonight... We find that same pattern in the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse number 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Jesus, just before he went on the cross and was betrayed by Judas, he We find in in John chapter 17, I invite you to turn there, John chapter 17, we find an amazing prayer that Jesus lays out for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for His disciples. He's praying for those that many years later would come and follow Him and take up their cross as He would and follow Him. And in, in John chapter 17, verse number 21, the Bible says, as Jesus is praying, that they, that's us, all may be one, as though, as, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe, and that thou hast sent me. Verse number 22, and the glory which thou givest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I just want to pause there for a moment to understand for you today, Jesus Christ died for the church. He purchased the church with His own blood. And He desires as the purchaser, as the chief cornerstone of the church, He prays and says, I pray that the church will be unified. I pray that the church will stand. I pray that they will have conviction. I pray that when the time is right, they will come together and be one in unity. But we must go back because just before He begins this prayer, of praying that we be one in Christ. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And if we are to be a people that is unified, we must be a people unified on the word of God. And that extends beyond tonight. That extends beyond what we hear on Sundays and Wednesdays from the pulpit. We need to be studiers of the Word of God on a daily basis. They continued daily in one accord. It's hard for you to stand and have conviction if you don't know why you have conviction. I remember a pastor took me aside one time and he He told me, he said, he said, brother, I want you to know this, that we build on biblical principle. We read something and we find that this is the biblical principle. This is what God has clearly laid out. Just this morning, as we spoke on seeking first the kingdom of God, we see the principle is that we must prioritize it, we must be diligent to it. That is the biblical principle. And then it brings conviction as we read it and we go beyond what's on the black and white paper. It becomes personal to us. And we say, I have a conviction that I will not give up. I will not quit. I will not uh, put other things in 
in, in the, the place of God's kingdom in my life. Which then leads to personal standards where we set up fences and safeguards that keep us within the parameters of living on a biblical principle, of living with biblical convictions. All of these cannot be established until we first have that moment of reading and studying. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. We don't just hope that Pastor Lejeune studies. We don't hope that our life group teacher is the only one that studies. The Bible desires that we study to show ourselves approved unto God. In order for a team to be successful, each individual player must work on his own ability. He must work on his own athleticism, his own durability, his own skill, his own. And when they all come together and they work in unity, while each individual gets better, corporately the team gets better. In the book, The Pursuit of God, authored by A.W. Tozer, he wrote the following, Has it ever occurred to you? that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They're in one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become, uh, uh, become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? No, my friend, we each individually have our time with the Lord and we each fellowship with Him and He tweaks and tunes us and makes us who we are in Christ and we come together and as we, as we grow in Christ, He unifies us in our spirit when we study to follow Him. But not only do we need to have a studying spirit, we need to have a supernatural spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God. I understand in reading this passage, as you probably have already, in that that word spirit there is not capitalized. We know that that's individual. That's not uh, the Holy Spirit. That's each individual person's spirit must be tuned. But I think that we understand tonight that the human spirit is weak. The human spirit becomes distracted. The human spirit is tainted and, and, and sin-filled, and yet uh, a God offers us a new spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that lives and abides within us. And when we take the resource of the Holy Spirit of God and we apply it to our lives, we begin again to work in unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1 says this, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope for your calling." When we are each individually strong with the supernatural Holy Spirit of God 
living and abiding in us and flowing through us. And, 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 and as we mentioned before, the, the fruits of the Spirit coming out of us naturally, we will be a unified body. The story is told that uh, a little boy was flying a kite on a windy day, and the kite kept going higher and higher. Finally, it got so high that it was out of sight. A man passed by and saw the little boy holding on to a string. The man could not see the kite, and he asked the boy, How do you even know that you have a kite up there? The boy replied, Because I can feel it. Although we cannot see the Holy Spirit, we should be able to sense His work in our lives, changing in us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And listen, I don't know each individual in here. I don't know if you're walking in the Spirit. I don't know if you're living after the flesh. But listen, uh, when we get a group of individuals together and we begin fellowshipping and we begin speaking on the Bible, you can find out real quick who's relying on the flesh and who's relying on the Spirit of God to direct them in their life. So we should have one Spirit. A Spirit that works together. A spirit that desires unity. A spirit that doesn't want to be divisive. A spirit that wants to be pure. That wants to be holy in the eyes of God. And a spirit that accepts the Holy Spirit of God working and moving. But finally, we must be unified in our submission. Unified in our submission. Notice what the Bible says. With one mind... Striving together for the faith of the gospel. In this room, there are many minds. They come from all kinds of backgrounds and upbringing. Different personalities, different viewpoints. How can the Bible expect a church with so many minds, and great ones too, how can we be of one mind altogether? Well, Paul would expound on this in chapter 2. And he would remind us that we must have a submitted mind. A submitted mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But look at this phrase here. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. One of the enemies of unity is pride. It is thinking better of ourselves than we should. It is thinking that we hold the monopoly on what is right. How things should be done. How things should be said. We were reminded that the church is a body. And each one of us, members of that body, who are fitly joined together, we all have an individual work to accomplish so that the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ can go forward. But Paul would say this, for those in the church that wouldn't understand, for those that wouldn't truly uh, think that they had to submit their mind. Perhaps they thought they were more superior. He reminds them that even the Lord Jesus Christ had this very same submitted mind. And in chapter 2, verse number 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, my friend, God the Father came to God the Son and He tasked Him with the task of coming and dying for the sins of all mankind. And while many, even today, Jews believe that Jesus would come and be a conquering King, He came as a lowly carpenter. He came with no reputation. He came with the form of a servant. Imagine the pomp and circumstance of heaven having the angels worship you day in and, 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 and night and, and, and just praising and praising and praising and all of a sudden He steps into this world and the trumpets are silent. And as He grows up, He's persecuted. And as He does miracles to help heal the blind and the sick and and the maimed and all those different things, He begins to be scoffed at. He begins to be questioned. And yet, He said that it was the joy that was set before Him. uh, Hebrews reminds us. The joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for you and for me. He did that with a submitted mind to the will of the Father. If Jesus Christ could come and submit Himself before the Father. Can we, as simple, sinful human beings, can we submit and be servants like Him? From July 26 to August 7, 1971, the eyes of millions of Americans uh, Americans were uh, on Apollo 15 moon mission. You may remember that astronaut David R. Scott and, and James B. Irwin, uh, who landed on the moon, sent uh, 18 of their uh, six, uh, spent 18 of uh, their their 66 hours there outside of the spacecraft. They covered over uh, 17 miles of the surface in a specialized vehicle named the uh, the moon buggy. Upon returning to Earth, James uh, Irwin, a A professed Christian believer declared, As I was returning, I realized that I am not a celebrity, but a servant. So I am here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I have experienced, that the others may know the glory of God. Most of us will never attain the status that James B. Irwin had. But all of us can have that same spirit that we are servants. Are we willing to submit to our authority? Are we willing to submit our mind to not think that we are better than others? Are we willing to be a body that comes together and unifies for a common cause? Which leads us to our final point this morning, not, or this evening, not only a submitted mind, but a submitted motivation. One mind striving together. 
for the faith of the gospel. That word striving together in the Greek is a compound word. It is synathleo. First part, syn, S-Y-N, means with or togetherness. Athleo means to compete in a contest. The idea when you put that together is this, that one uh, must sacrifice one's own welfare so that the team might corporately win. We must have a submitted motivation to understand that we have a greater cause than us individually. We have a cause that is global. It is a cause for people all around the world to receive the wonderful truths of the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Herman Edwards is a colorful and witty coach who was with the Kansas City Chiefs. When it came to his thoughts on teamwork, he said, The players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet, not the name on the back of the jersey. And again, we're reminded that pride is an adversary to unity. Christianity is not about us. Christianity is for the lost. Christianity is for the entire world, for God so loved the world. But sometimes we get so self-centered. And we get statements where somebody stands and and proclaims truth and, and we get so bent out of shape over one little thing. 99% 99% of what's said could be, uh, could be right up their alley and understand, uh, could be, could be, uh, understood and, and, and perfect. But that one thing, and we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. We get so bad out of shape over one little, I can't believe the pastor said this. I can't believe that such and such said this. Did you hear? It's those little things. That we maybe don't say it out loud, but we get so focused on our individuality that we forget the corporate cause of Christ. You forget that our world is watching. You forget that there are people that listen. There are folks, uh, perhaps even in this room tonight, that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are the physical representation here on this earth as a Christian. And we hear divisiveness. And we hear disunity amongst the church. And they say, I don't want anything to do with that. If being a Christian means I'm going to be persecuted even from Christians, why would I jump into that? And listen, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement does a great job at, at separating. And there's a, there's a point that we need to be separate, right? The Bible says, be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. But we've gone way on one side and, and we've separated so much that, that we're, we've separated ourselves from the world we're supposed to reach. We must come back into balance tonight and we must be reminded that, hey, there is time for separation, but all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, we all strive together. 
with conviction, with consistency, in one spirit, we study and we are submitted to the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ. And together as we strive, let us hold hands, let us partner together for a greater cause than our own, the cause of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maria Dyer was born in 1837 on the mission field in China where her parents and uh, were pioneer missionaries. Both of her parents died when Maria was a little girl. She was sent back to England to be raised by an uncle. The loss of her parents, however, did not deter her young heart from the importance of sharing the gospel. At age 16, she, along with her sister, returned to China to work in a girls' school as a missionary herself. Five years later, she married Hudson Taylor, a man well-known today for his love of ministry, faith, and sacrifice. Hudson and Maria, were, uh, their, their work was often criticized, even by other Christians. At one, one point, Maria wrote, As to the harsh judgment of the world or the more painful misunderstandings of Christian brethren, I generally feel that the best plan is to go on with our work and leave God to vindicate our cause. Of their nine children, only four survived to adulthood. Maria herself would die of cholera when she was just 43. But she believed the cause was worthy of sacrifice. On her grave marker, these words are inscribed. For her to live is Christ. And to die is gain. In a day when many are self-absorbed and, and care more about what they can get rather than what they can give, we need a renewal of a sacrificial love. It was God's love for us that sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. It is that kind of giving love that our world needs so greatly today. When we love God as we should, our interests fade as we magnify Him. Our world is watching tonight. There are folks on the other side of the globe that are calling out, wondering where their eternal destiny will be, wondering if there's hope, wondering if there is freedom from the bondage of sin that they experience. And so many Christians bicker and and, and fight one another instead of us going and having a sacrificial love like Hudson and Maria Taylor. Do we have a mind that's willing to sacrifice our pride? Do we have a motivation that's holy motivation? That we, want, we understand that we are to strive for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you tonight. Perhaps it's in our lifestyle that we need to change and we need to conform more to the image of Christ. I don't know if it's our attitude towards our brothers and sisters that sit with us this evening. 
I don't know if there's some uh, uh, new motivation that you need to have to get ourselves striving together for the Gospel. I don't know how the Lord's speaking to you tonight, but I hope that we'll be sensitive. I hope that you pray to God that you will not be a divider of a church. That you will not be a hindrance to somebody's growth. That you will not be a stumbling block for White Oak Baptist Church to have the greatest voice it can possibly have in this world for Stratford and beyond. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.